Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. NFL Week 1 is in the books. A lot of stuff happened. Some injuries, some big wins, some big losses. I'm going to be joined by our NFL guy, Joe Dowley. He's going to break it all down on the podcast this week as we give you a full reset of the NFL landscape after Week 1 and look ahead to Week 2 and what games we're looking forward to. Speaking of Week 2, I'm going to be joined by Jersey Joe Arquino to do the NFL picks for week number two and show me the money. Had a good week, week one, went two and one on the week. I'll try and improve on that as we go forward here in show me the money. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I will recap the end of the U.S. Open. The big headlines took away from the wins by Bianca Andrescu on the women's side and Rafael on the doll on the men's. But we'll get it all rolling with this week's opening tip where we take a look at the disappointing starts of the year for the two New York locals right after this. Third and four, big play, Allen, and he's got him! At the five, the end zone, a flag caught by Brown. Roberts was on the side, a 38-yard strike thrown by Josh Allen. John Brown going deep, and he gives him a little double move, and... What Josh Allen does is he underthrows this football, allowing John Brown to come back and make a play. All right, we are back to this opening tip. That clay is her courtesy of CBS's Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon. Josh Allen throwing the go-ahead touchdown to John Brown, who torched Dow Roberts on the play as the Bills come back from 16-0 down to stun the Jets 17-16 to begin what was a horrible day for the New York football teams. Now, both these teams stunk, but we'll get the Giants out of the way because that one was kind of expected. There are some things to take away from the Giant game, though. Number one, the Giant defense, my God, they are bad. It's an abysmal unit. How do you let Dak Prescott go 25 of 32 for 405 yards and four touchdowns? I mean, this is not the second coming of Troy Aikman here. Dak Prescott is a complimentary quarterback who needs a good running game to do well. You let him complete. 25 of 32 passes for 405 yards, four touchdowns. Guys were running free all over the secondary. The Giants, very young on defense, and it showed. They were miscommunications galore. Guys were wide open. People were just not getting covered. They had a very easy time moving the football. And that was without Zeke Elliott doing a ton because, yes, Zeke signed, Zeke played. Zeke didn't do a ton. Yes, he got a touchdown, but he was not the key to this game. The key of this game was the fact that the Giants secondary could not cover anybody. And that's a big problem. That's also a common theme for the New York teams, which we'll get to in a moment. But that was bad. The pass rush, non-existent. Dak had all day to sit back and throw out the football. And that's what happens when you give a competent quarterback time to sit back there, obsess the pocket, and just throw the ball. It doesn't matter. The Giants offensively, the play calling was a little out of whack. I mean... Saquon Barkley, who is the giant offense, as we saw, he ripped off that 59-yard run early in the game, set up the first touchdown. He only got 11 carries. Eli Manning dropped back 44 times. Now I get Eli was not terrible what he did. He was efficient, but you need to have that more in balance. I get game flow is part of that issue, but when you know your D can't stop anybody, you need to try and commit to Saquon and say, you know what, we're going to keep them off the field. We're going to control the clock, run the football, find ways to keep our offense on the field, score some points. 
Eli wasn't bad. The play calling, not very imaginative. And I they clearly do not have enough talent on the outside to win. The suspension for Golden Tate looming large here. Evan Engram made some plays. Not, ma- not many others did. They have to play a lot better next week against the Bills if they want to get off the schneid and go to 1-1. One and one. The That was clearly the hardest game the Giants had in the first four. The next three are winnable if they play better. I would not be shocked if the Giants won next week because the Bills were not great in MetLife on Sunday. But they got the win because the Jets gave it to them. How the Bills won this football game is mind-boggling. Josh Allen was a complete dumpster fire in the first half of this game. The man turned the football over four times. He threw two picks, one to C.J. Mosley ran back for a touchdown. He fumbled twice, including one on a fourth and one player. He just didn't take the snap from center correctly. He just fell right on the ground. That's embarrassing for a pro quarterback. But the Jets could not take advantage. At the half, with those four turnovers, they only scored six points because the kicker, Corey Vedvik, missed the extra point, missed a field goal, and before you know it, it's only 6 nothing. Jets come out second half. They get a safety. They get the touchdown. They go for two and get it because that tells you clearly how much confidence Adam Gates had in that kicker because he said, you know what, I'm going for two to get my two points. But this game turned on a dime when C.J. Mosley got hurt. And C.J. Mosley was all over the field that game when he was on the field. He was making tackles. He got the pick. He recovered a fumble. He nearly got another pick because Josh Allen threw it right in his hands and he dropped it. But when he went on the sideline in the fourth quarter with the groin injury, you're like, uh-oh, this is not good. Because you know with the Avery Williamson injury, the Jets don't have anybody in there with experience calling the signals on defense. And all of a sudden, that responsibility falls to Neville Hewitt and rookie Blake Cashman. Not good. Nobody was where they were supposed to be. A lot of guys running free in that Buffalo secondary, even before Mosley got hurt. It was worse once Mosley got hurt. All of a sudden, the Bills right down the field twice. Touchdown, touchdown, game over. There were a lot of problems with the Jets today. And this is a team I thought could win eight or nine games this year. I took them as an over. But the issues that popped up today, they were alarming. And let me break them down here. If these do not get fixed, we are gonna they're going to have major, major problems this season. Number one, the play calling, which is the one the fans are going to go to. Adam Gase was extremely conservative in this game. He threw short of the sticks early and often. Jason Crowder in this game, I mean, he was all over the field. He had 17 targets, 14 catches. That's way too many. You got to distribute the ball a little better here. A lot of these passes that Sam Darnold made were often short of the sticks, hoping for receivers to make a play, hoping for Le'Veon Bell to make a play. That's not sustainable because eventually teams say, you know what, we're going to come up, we're going to take those short ones away and beat us deep. And they did not have a deep connection in this game. Uh, Darnold missed Robbie Anderson on a couple of occasions, including one that would have been a touchdown if he just threw it correctly. Darnold did complete 28 passes, but he only threw for 175 yards. That's not good. I felt like I was reliving the Brian Schottenheimer-Jeremy Bates game plans, and that's not a look that should be good for the staff, which in the preseason, they looked imaginative. They looked innovative. They were pushing the field. Darnold looked comfortable. All of a sudden, the lights come on, and we're back to, you know, 
oh my gosh, this young quarterback, we don't want him to screw the game up. We're going to throw very conservative plans. If that's how you're going to treat the quarterback, you're not going anywhere this year. That's number one. Number two, the offensive line was really bad. And it's more talented than what they showed yesterday. The offensive line, Sam Darnold got sacked four times. He was running for his life a lot. The group was far better in run blocking than pass blocking. And, you know, maybe that was partially why the play calling was so conservative because they knew the interior of the line could not be trusted against a good Bills front. But at some point here, this group needs to gel and play together because, remember, they added Ryan Cleo late. They only got basically a week at the end of camp to practice together. No preseason reps together for the starting five. That showed in this game. And this is something where maybe the week four bye benefits them because that gives them a week of practice together without possibly screwing a game up. That's the only case where the bye is going to help them. Otherwise, the week four bye is not going to be good. The offensive line, major issue yesterday. Again, the one that every Jet fan and their mother knew about too. The secondary was abysmal. They were so bad. John Brown and Cole Beasley were open the entire freaking game. They were every day, somebody was wide open in the middle of the field for 10, 15 yards. It was not bad early because Josh Allen is not a good quarterback. It was overthrowing guys a lot. Second half, though, once Mosley was not there to make sure guys were in position, all of a sudden those passes are getting completed, and that's a problem. Daryl Roberts especially, he got torn to shreds in this game. Committed a couple of penalties, got beat on the big touchdown for John Brown. And this is the guy that Mike McCagney invested in and said, you know what, he's a starting corner now. I don't need anybody else. That's a big problem. And number four, another one, obviously, the kicker. Corey Vedvik misses the PAT in the first quarter, misses the field goal. That's four points the Jets should have had. And those were four big points that we saw in this game. The Jets lose by one. We saw how much faith Abgates had in him after the missed field goal because when they scored the touchdown in the second half, they went for two. And that was on the same end of the field that he missed the PAT. And we heard during the broadcast that during warm-ups, he was missing a lot to the left in that direction. This is partially the Jets' fault because they said, you know what, we're going to bring the kicker in here. We're not going to have him kick on the field because last week there was a soccer game at MetLife Stadium. The field turf was not down there covered with grass, so... His first time kicking on that field was on game day. That's not very smart, folks. That's not how you find a good kicker. At the end of the day, that's going to cost the Jets the game. I would be stunned if Vedvik is here by the end of the week. They thought they had a gem when they got this guy off waivers from the Vikings. Who Remember, the Vikings traded a fifth-round pick to the Ravens for him. He went one of four. They caught him and said, you know, we're not compounding our mistake. We'll, find some, we'll stick with Dan Bailey. The Jets said, oh, gee, we got a bargain here. This guy could be a stud. Nope. Next. And a lot of these problems, three of them at least, go to the feet of Mike McCagnan, the former GM. Mike, it was Mike McCagnan who said, you know what? I only need to trade for one lineman. I'll let Jonathan Harrison play at center. It was Mike McCagnan who said, you know what? I don't need corners. Daryl Roberts and Drain Johnson are enough. I'll sign Brian Poole by call of the day. And it was Mike McCagnan who said, you know what? I don't need to pay Jason Myers, who just made the Pro Bowl $5 million guaranteed. I'll find a kicker off the street. I'll bring in Chandler Catanzaro, who was average the one year he was here. And I'm not going to bring in any competition for him. All those issues came back to bite the Jets on Sunday. And hot take, I now get why Adam Gase said, you know, I can't work with this dude. Mike Hagnon did good things. 
Sam Darnold is here because of Mike McCagden. Mike McCagden signed Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley, who were big factors for the Jets on Sunday. But he had a lot of mistakes. Those came back to bite the franchise in this game. Now Joe Douglas is here. Joe Douglas should be able to fix a lot of these things in time. He already made the move for Ryan Khalil because he said, you know, I can't live with Jonathan Harrison in the center. That's not happening. There was not enough corners left on the market for the Jets to do anything, and that's probably going to burn them this year. Look at the upcoming schedule for the Jets for a second here. This unit, which could not cover John Brown and, and Cole Beasley yesterday. Next week, they get Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and the Browns. The following week, Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon. Bye week, Eagles, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, Cowboys, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Patriots again. What did you see yesterday that made you think that this group is capable of covering any of those guys? Unless the Jets can fix the line, control the clock, and keep that abysmal secondary off the field, and they had better pray that C.J. Mosley does not miss any time with this injury. If he doesn't, you could be staring 0-6 right down the barrel because they're not stopping any of those teams. None whatsoever. And this year could be over before you get there. We now have an interesting game with them this week. They had the 0-1 Browns coming in, and the Browns got their butts kicked against Tennessee at home. On Monday night, desperate fans in the building. This could get very ugly if the Jets find themselves down early. On third and three, they send Hill in motion. Mahomes looks that way. Now will fire. And hit his man at the 40. Oh, look out! Sammy Watkins takes it all the way. Explosion in Jacksonville. 68-yard touchdown. Just a hook route over the middle. He's got yardage for the first down. There's the missed tackle. There's the opening in the secondary. Ramsey misses, and see you later. All right, we are back on this week's NFL Week 1 recap. Joining us today after that great touchdown call from CBS Sports is Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, the great Joe Dalvizio, our NFL guy. Joe, welcome. How are you? I am doing well. You are way too kind. I am not great. I am mediocre at best. Don't say that. The Jets are mediocre. You are better than the Jets. No, the Jets are bad. <laughs> the Jets are bad. Don't insult me like yeah, that. Yeah, a little yeah, a little inside podcasting here. The segment you just heard at the top of the show recorded on Monday right after I watched the Jets blow that game against Buffalo and the Giants choked against them. Nothing's really changed with the Giants since then, but we do have some breaking news with the Jets on Thursday. Sam Darnold out for a couple of games with Mono. It's just ridiculous. Le'Veon Bell, shoulder injury. Probably not going to play Monday if I was to guess. C.J. Mosley, no practice. Quincy Anuma on IR. Demarius Thomas traded to the Jets for a sixth-round pick coming from the Patriots. And on top of all that, they are 0-1 with the Browns coming in. It's not looking good right now. Joe, what the hell is going on with my Jets? Yeah, I wish I had an answer, but what looked like or what should have been a promising year looks like the season's already over, and it, it just started. It is over. I mean, Trevor Simeon starting on Monday night against the Browns. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> that is absolutely brutal. Um, but an update on that Le'Veon Bell shoulder injury. He did have an MRI, and according to sources, I don't have sources, but I'm reading what I see on Twitter, Connor Hughes Sources confirm that the MRI on Le'Veon Bell's injured shoulder revealed no structural damage, so that's a win. That is a win. Maybe he'll play. There's a good chance that he may be out there, but 
I think you were actually being pretty generous on Sam Darnold out a couple games. You could possibly see Sam Darnold out anywhere between four to six weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, he's not back before the bye, and then who knows if he's ready for Philadelphia in three weeks. I think what they're most worried about with Mono is the fact that Sam Darnold could potentially lose a lot of weight. Probably he has. From what I've heard, that he's lost a ton of weight and that they, they sent him home because obviously he can't infect anybody else. And it could all, I mean, he's pro, he's definitely going to be weak. It's going to take some time before he's ready. I mean, could you imagine? First of all, I can't imagine having mono. I've never had it. I know a lot of people that have, but I can't imagine having it going through getting better and then having to go play football yeah. and get crushed. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, might partially explain why he struggles so much in week one if he's already dealing with that, but like that's not really a cons- consolation considering the fact they still have the Browns, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Patriots again. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I see 0-6 coming down the barrel here for the Jets. I think it's easily 0-6. Yeah. Now, I'm interested in seeing Monday night how Trevor Simeon plays. Yeah. Um, if he plays that poorly, do the do the Jets try to make a quarterback move? Well, who's out there? There's no one out there. I mean, there's got to be. There's backups all around the NFL. I mean, there's got to be a backup that's better than Trevor Simeon. Yeah. I mean, they just signed Luke Falk off the practice squad, so I don't think that's going to do them any good. He is your backup right now. Yeah, he is the backup. That's really terrifying. But let's get to the rest of the league for a little bit. Let's go to – I mean, the games are fine. The games are great. Wasn't week one a lot of fun? It was. I mean, listen, I was – I say this a lot. I enjoy Thursday night football when my team plays, yeah. especially when they win, and I just get to relax, chill out, and watch a full slate of football. There's yeah. nothing better than that. The Patriots, they whitewashed the Steelers on Sunday night, 33-3 to in Foxborough. Their schedule's incredibly favorable. Look, is this, in your opinion, the start of the 2007s run of dominance for the Patriots? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Like, yeah, they have Antonio Brown. They don't even need Antonio Brown. They really don't even need him. This team looked so good. And, it again, as long as Tom Brady, as long as Bill Belichick, as long as those two are together, the Patriots will also always be dominant. Yeah, and you look at their schedule. I mean, this week they're playing the, var- the junior varsity Miami Dolphins, and you got the Jets, the Giants are in there, the Redskins are in there, the Bills are in there. They're not losing a game for a long time. No, it doesn't get easier than that. No. Honestly, it really doesn't get easier than that. And the one thing about the Patriots that I personally think make them so good is they they take care of those bad teams. Yeah. How many teams do we see lose to other bad teams? The, it, Jets, the Jets just did this week. It, it happens way yeah. too often. The good teams take care of those bad teams, get the W, and move on. Yeah, they, they do, and they're going to be cruising towards that top spot in the AFC. Once he looks like they should be up there off the, based on their week one performance, the Baltimore Ravens, who absolutely took Miami to the woodshed. Lamar Jackson's throwing bombs all over the field. They're running fake punts. Now, Lamar Jackson comes out after the game. He says, oh, not bad for a running back after it completes like 17 to 20 passes for over 300 yards and a bunch of touchdowns. My question is this. Are the Ravens that good, or are the Dolphins just that bad? I think it's a combination of the boat yep. of both. I, I also think it's a little too early after just one week. I will fully admit I was wrong on Lamar Jackson. I believe I was on this podcast and said I don't think he's a good quarterback. Well, yep. he shut me up. Um, I have to see if Lamar Jack now Lamar Jackson isn't going to do this every single week. He's not going to throw for three hundred and twenty-four yards every single week. 
if I start to see some consistency here, I'm going to start believing in the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. I do think, though, that the Miami Dolphins are the worst team in the NFL, and it's not even close. Yeah, they might not win a game this year. They look abysmal in there. You know it's bad. I mean, we've seen bad teams, right? Yeah. But you know it's really bad when after a week one loss, players are asking their agents to get them out of Miami. Yeah. Like, that is unheard of. That is dysfunctional at its finest. Yeah, the players felt like they got sold a bill of goods because right before the season, they trade the left tackle, they trade their top wide receiver basically for draft picks and, like, backups. So, like, they are shamelessly just saying, you know, we're going for two attacks by Loa. Screw the season. We are going to go for that top pick. I mean, it, it's clear as day that that's what they're going for right now because they're not going – they're not trying to win an NFL game, and that certainly – it certainly showed in week one. Yeah, it did show in week one. Miami, really bad. Once you look really good, you're Green Bay Packers. And they – Shut down the Bears, 10-3 opening night. You are the Packer guy. What are your thoughts on the Packers? I am the Packer guy. Yeah. I am the Packer guy. I am the uh, the cheese head, as they say. Um, yeah, they played very well. Um, defensively, I was very impressed. They added a lot of pieces. Adarius Smith, Preston Smith, uh, Adrian Am- uh, Amos. The, it all came together on the defensive end. But again, it's one week. Offensively, they struggled. Aaron Rodgers didn't have his best game. Aaron Jones couldn't get going running the ball, and that's that. You're going up against a marquee defense, so that's understandable. But at, on the flip side, Mitch Trubisky looked like a college quarterback. He did not look like he belonged in the NFL the way he played uh, last Thursday. So, with that being said, I think this upcoming week, this matchup that the Packers have against the Vikings will ultimately tell you a lot about this Green Bay team. If they could stop Kirk Cousins, Diggs, Thielen, and Cook, this defense is legit. If they could contain at least two out of the four of them, this defense is really good. Um, But until we see the Packers' offense get going and the defense come together as a a unit, we're going to have to just wait and see. Once that happens, this team could be special. And Kirk Cousins tore the Packers to shreds last year. Two two games, two big passing efforts. So we'll see if the defense has improved enough to contain him this year, this time around. I mean, Mike Zimmer is five one and one against the Packers in Green Bay, including wins in 2015, 2017, and a tie last year. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. Not good if you're a Packer fan. Definitely not. Okay, let's go to the most type team of Week One, who laid an egg in there and that's our good friends over in Cleveland the Browns that they lose 43 13 to the Titans Baker Mayfield throws three interceptions in the fourth quarter yikes not good in Cleveland not good in Cleveland not the way you wanted to start the season especially when there's such high expectations in Cleveland people were thinking they're winning the division people were thinking they're winning 10 games slow down 13 points in that high-powered offense led by Baker Mayfield not so much and this is the, take nothing away from Tennessee Tennessee's a good football team I it, think well it, I don't know about I think Tennessee's a decent football team they're a fringe playoff team there's no reason though that Tennessee should put up 43 points against you I could guarantee that Tennessee does not score 40 or more points again this season yeah it's bit, you can't let Tennessee go in your building beat you by 30 points. No, embarrassing. That's Absolutely it. embarrassing. Yeah, not good. I mean, the Titans, they showed a lot. I mean, they could 
theoretically, if the AFC South is kind of weak, they could make a run that division because who knows what's going on right now with the Jags having a backup quarterback in there. The Texans have, still have O-line issues, and the Colts are playing with their backup now for good. So Yeah, that division's wide open right now. Yeah. That it, it really is. but And it's good. It's a good first win for the Tennessee Titans. And again, no disrespect to them, but I, I just don't think they're that good. Yeah, I, I don't either. But let's get to that Monday night game for a second, that Texans-Saints game. My goodness, that was so much fun, and that ending was crazy. Game of the week. Yeah. Game of the week by far. And you just said it perfectly. Deshaun Watson needs an offensive line. Because he's not going to make it all season. No. You saw him hobbling around already in week one. Yeah. He was getting hit left and right. He will not make it through the regular season. And without Deshaun Watson, I mean, we've seen them play without Deshaun Watson. They, they can't do anything. No, they can't. And, I mean, he's got to be smarter here, too. I mean, he takes way too many hits unnecessarily. He's trying to extend plays. At some point, Bill O'Brien, who I think is a very overrated as a coach, by the way, but that's another topic. But some boys got to tell him, hey, look, man, you need to – slow down here, be willing to duck down, not gain three extra yards means you're taking a pulling from a defensive lineman or a linebacker. Just you need, We need you to play. Yeah, he needs to start thinking long-term. He's been in the league long enough that he needs to start thinking about next week and the future week and, and playing week 17, not gaining an extra three or four yards. But kudos to the Saints and Drew Brees. And Drew Brees leading their his team downfield to put uh, Will Lutz in a you know a 50-plus yard field goal situation to win that game. I mean, that's vintage Breeze, and that's exactly why the minute Breeze retires, we're going to see that guy in Canton. Absolutely. So let's do a little big-picture stuff here. So who do you think was the biggest winner of Week 1? Ooh, that's a good question. The biggest winner of Week 1. Wow, you really put me on the spot there, Mike. The biggest winner... So it definitely wasn't the Patriots because you knew the Patriots were going to come out and, and just and demolish. I think the biggest winner in week one has to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And the reason I say that is because you just had a season, a rookie season with Patrick Mahomes where he went absolutely bananas. And he started this season exactly where he left off. And that's what you wanted to see. You got a little nervous that he got banged up. But he came back, and he was effective. He threw for almost 380 yards. Sammy Watkins looks healthy. Yes, you may have lost Tyreek Hill for some time, but you still have Travis Kelsey. You have a backfield. LaShawn McCoy, let me tell you something. I think LaShawn McCoy's role on this team is perfect. And I think it's only going to make this offense even better if that's possible. Yeah, I like the Chiefs a lot. They had a very good week, week one. I think... My biggest winner from week one is probably the Vikings, just because like they had that big collapse at the end of the year last year. They come out, they get a tough team at home in Atlanta, and they go out and they do and they make a statement there. I mean, Dalvin Cook is running the ball at will. They only passed the ball ten times. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Kirk Cousins threw ten passes. They still won the game because they were just that down on the ground. That's a showing the Vikings need to sort of put the stink from last year behind them. Without a doubt. Without it, that was an impressive performance. They jump out to a 20, 28 nothing lead. Yeah. Their defense was great. Their special teams was great. And Dalvin Cook, when he's when he is healthy, he's special. All right, let's go the other way. Who's the biggest loser from week one? This is a toss up between the Browns and the Jets. Yeah. And it, I, I honestly, I'm leaning more towards the Jets because with the Browns, I remember saying that I was concerned about having too many personalities and Freddie Kitchens not being able to handle it. With the Jets, I don't see that. You know, I see Adam Gaze as a problem. Obviously, that could be an issue. 
But the fact that you win the turnover battle, you're up 16-0, and then you end up losing 17-16, to I mean, that is, that is heart-wrenching. And now, the injuries pile up, forget it. You, you, you gotta be depressed if you're a Jets fan. Yeah, Jet fans want to cry right now, but let's stay. I'm gonna be different for the sake of difference here. I'm gonna say the Bears at the worst week one because Mitch Trubisky was so bad in that football game. I mean, Twitter was going insane. All the Bear fans were losing their minds. They scored three points in that football game, and the Packers did play great defense. But for a team with high expectations, that's not what you want to see coming off of that year. You could definitely add the Bears in the mix with the Browns and the Jets for most disappointing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's go a little fun here. Let's. We know it's week one. It's only been one football game, but there are plenty of fan bases who want to panic. Let's go with the panic meter here. When we'll go on a scale of one to ten, we'll go. I'll give you some teens. Give me a number, real quick, of how what the panic ten, number. Ten, ten being they're 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 about ten, to go ten, crazy. Ten is basically like the fans are need to be talked off the ledge. See, this is tough. I mean, it's only week one. How many teams you hit me with? Five. Oof. Okay. We'll start with the Browns. I think they're at a five. Yeah. I think they're right around a five. Um, another loss, a, a week two loss could potentially get them to like a seven or eight but they're gonna destroy the jets yeah if they somehow lose the jets that meter's going up to a nine. Oh, without a doubt speaking of the jets they are next i think now that you you factor in that loss last week throw on the sam darnold injury the cj mosley the quincy and nunwa the Le'Veon bell I think you're right about an. You're at an eight right now. Yeah, you're at an eight because you're already looking ahead and you're like, "There's no chance that Trevor Simeon is winning me one game until Sam Darnold gets back." Yeah, they're up there at the eight. I'm gonna argue the nine, honestly, just because you just you know, don't know how long Darnold is out and your schedule is brutal. Like I said, zero and six, staring you down the barrel there. So easily. Yeah. Question. Let's say the Jets go zero and six. Sam Darnold still isn't back. Do you even bring him back? I think if you let him take his time. You have to get him back because I'm going to actually run the offense and get confidence in it. All right. He's a young quarterback. He needs experience. He, can't he does. Get, can't he get, does. Can't get a sing on the sideline. But could you imagine him coming back and then, God forbid, tears his ACL and then he's out next year? Then what do you do? You draft a quarterback? No, you sign a stopgap. That's basically what you're doing. <sighs> Man, what a disaster that would be. Yeah, well, let's go another team that the Steelers, after getting whitewashed by the Patriots, what's the pack meter? I think a three. Yeah. I think a, this is the team that's not is panicking the least, and that just that's, co- that's because of the experience that they have on that sideline in Mike Tomlin. Not that Mike Tomlin's a genius and the best coach out there, but you got a guy in Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith, James Conner. I think they're going to get it going. They're going to they're gonna be able to bounce back relatively quickly. I, like, I agree with that one. I think it's a fair number. The Bears, the next one on the pack meter. I think the Bears are a six. Yeah. I think they're a six because they're like a six, seven. They're, they're, they're teetering between, they're like a six and a half. Because they're happy that they score three points because their field goal kicker made a field goal. So they're satisfied that they think they have a kicker. But at the same time, they're really upset with how Mitch Trubisky played and how terrible he looked. And again, that's another team that has real high expectations that, yikes, they better figure it out on offense because their defense is great. There's no doubt about it. But if they don't get anything going on offense, it's going to be a long season for the Bears. 
Absolutely. So they, they, I think they're probably more of a five. I think with the fans were a nine. The fans are bigger ready to jump to go crazy because after the kicker misses the field goal and make bounce out the playoffs, Trubisky plays bad. I think they're ready to go nuts in Chicago. Let me tell you, they're lucky that their yeah. kicker made yeah. a field goal because yeah. if he would have missed their only field goal and they get shut out ten nothing, good. Poof. I wouldn't want to be in Chicago. No, I would not. And last one on the pack meter, the Falcons, after that ugly showing in Minnesota week one. I think they're right around the same as the Steelers, a three or a four. Um, They got plenty of experience to bounce back. Uh, Again, it's tough to to make early judgments when there's only been one game of football. I mean, this is an interesting conversation to bring back up. Um, And then look at it at the end of the season to see, you know, where these teams are. Yeah, I think there's a good chance a lot of teams on this list will miss the playoffs, but well, that's besides the point. So which team do you think need, most needs a victory in Week 2? Just to give myself a plug, I do write a column on Fanside every week, the five teams that most need a win in Week 1. I want to week, every week. So I have my list out for Week 2. I want to see who you think is the team that needs it the most. One team? One team that needs a win the most in Week number 2. Wow, Mike. I mean, these questions are tough, brother. Um, I think it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have a tough matchup against the Seattle Seahawks in Week Two. I think they definitely need to come up in the in the win column. And another team that I think definitely needs a win is the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, if the Chicago Bears go on the road and lose to the Denver Broncos, oh boy, yeah, then you really start to panic because the Broncos did not look good in Week One. I said, yeah, Steelers are on my list. The Bears were not. I had, number one, the Cleveland Browns. I think just given the fact that there's so much hype around them, they had such an awful show in week one. If they go out on the road and lose in week two, I feel like the they, they might be riding in Cleveland because they were sold another bill of goods about this team being good. Again, I, I thought from day one, Freddie Kitchens wasn't, it wasn't the answer. I mean, you have a lot of personalities, a young coach there. I don't think he was the right decision. Yeah, I don't think so either, we'll, but we'll see how that pans out. Last but not least, I know you're an actually fantasy football player. You, how'd you do in week one? I have two teams. I went, I won one game, and I lost the other game. Yeah, so I did the same, one and one. So One and one, my two-quarterback league, I had Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton. Both did not have a good showing. No, they did not. So I, I'm hoping if they have a normal performance that that team's going to be fine. But my other team... Um, ended up taking the victory despite having Hollywood Brown on my bench. Yeah, Hollywood Brown's on my bench one week. I won in spite of that. But good, who, good. Who, yeah, who are some guys you're looking at? To, did you did you look at on the wire? And say, oh, I gotta pick the, pick these guys up to try and help my squad. So both of my leagues are very deep. So yeah. th- there's not much picking. But I'll just talk generally for for this for this portion of it. Yeah. The guy we just mentioned, Hollywood Brown, he's probably taken at this point. But if he's not, you get him right now. Yeah. Um, John Ross in Cincinnati, another wide receiver. He had a huge week one, seven receptions, 58, uh, 158 yards, two touchdowns. Um, let's stay. Who else? Let's say a uh, running back that I, that I thought had a really good week one, Malcolm Brown. Yep. Taking that half that share with Ty Gurley. A hundred percent. And it, the fact that he got two touchdowns, that says a lot. Yeah. That says a lot. Um, another wide receiver, John Brown. Buffalo Bills, seven receptions, 123 yards, one receiving TD. There's not a lot of options in Buffalo. No. Um, he He's definitely a deep threat. He could get you a lot. And at the tight end position, Darren Waller. Yeah. Oakland. 
You do forget about him because he played that weight Monday night game, but he's good. He he played very well. Yeah. Very well. Seven receptions, 70 uh, yards, and he came shy of a touchdown. But, I mean, if you're in a PPR league, he's going to get a lot get, get you a lot of points. Absolutely. Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to find all the social media and the other podcast you just started? Yeah, so actually, uh, I appreciate the, the plug, but I just uh, launched my first podcast. It's called the Sharp Cheddar Podcast. Um, yes, you could assume that it's about the Green Bay Packers, but we do dive into the NFL. I give a couple picks. So you could check that podcast out um, on my Twitter, at Joe. Double underscore. Do not forget the double. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. The podcast right now is on Stitcher. Um, We're hoping to get approved by iTunes relatively shortly, and it'll be available there as well. So, yeah, if you could check it out, you want to hear more about the Packers, you want to hear more of my thoughts on the NFL, check it out. All right, Joe, thanks. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime. All right, that was Joe D'Alizio on your week one recap. Up next, show me the money, NFL picks with Jersey Joe Arquino right after this. All right, that we are back. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number two coming up on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Join me today. Someone you've heard from before, but this is his first time doing NFL picks. The great Jersey Joe Arquino is with us on the line. Joe, Jersey Joe, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well, buddy. Thank you for having me back on. I have to say, you do your podcast so well. I see so many people, you know, they just they don't keep it consistent. But you're rolling out content all the time, my friend. Really, really do a nice job. I really appreciate the compliments. Thank you, sir. Before we dive into everything, can you refresh everybody who did not hear you on the draft podcast? Tell us what kind of fan you are. Yeah, so, you know, I kind of like to tell people I'm a Chargers slash Giants fan. Grew up a Chargers fan, but I got to work for the Giants organization. Um, so, you know, as the two of them, I have a very special place in my heart. Um, but I know, you know, kind of can never outgrow the team you grow up for when you're younger. So I'd say the Chargers, it's, it's always been a very special passion of mine to have to root for them. Okay, so can you tell us how you became a Chargers fan? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's all about two things. It's about the uniforms, and it's about Lavinia Tomlinson, that powder blue Chargers jersey. I don't think there's a better one in the NFL, and I just absolutely loved it. And Lavinia Tomlinson was, for years growing up, the best running back in the league. I mean, one of the best of all time, a Hall of Famer. I think I talked about this on your podcast last time where I got to meet him. And I, I said, you know, when you get to meet, you know, your favorite athlete of all time, and the guy is a total pro, total class, everything you ever hoped him to be, uh, it's a special feeling. So, you know, all those things kind of shaped up to make me a Chargers fan, and uh, I think I made a pretty good decision. Not, no Super Bowl yet, but we'll see what happens one, one day. Yeah, hold on. I actually did not tell you the LT store on the podcast. You actually met him before? I, I, uh, so there was like a signing, um, I like for where you could go in and meet up with a lot of players. And I went to one when I, my senior year of high school, LT was going to be there. So my dad and I went down and a friend did too. And, uh, sure enough, finally got to meet him. And it was an amazing experience. It really was. He was just, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Yeah. I actually have an LT Jets jersey in my house when he was a member of the Jets. That was a fun time. No, you know what? It's, I, when he got when he went to the Jets, I 
was one of the – I got his jersey right away. I didn't care. He wasn't on the Chargers anymore. He was my guy, and I was still going to support him. So I'm also I'm glad you have one. I'm a proud LT Jet jersey owner as well. Yeah, in case people are not aware, the jersey in Jersey Joe Arquino stands for the number of football jerseys and sports jerseys he owns. Yes. And that's the one thing I always, people, a lot of people are like, oh, where are you from in New Jersey? And then, you know, I always tell them the story. It's a fun story. It always leads to fun conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get to the Chargers a second for week one. I mean, they look like they're about to run out with that game against the Colts. Colts come back, force overtime, Chargers win. What was your big takeaway from that game? Yeah, you know, to me, it, I think you, you said it so well. It looked like they came out of the gate and that the Colts really came back. But what it really came down to was finishing. And I think for years, anyone who saw the Chargers has known that it's been a team that they didn't know how to finish. They could come out of the gate, they could put up points, but they really were a team that struggled in the fourth quarter. But I think, I mean, you look at what this team has been under Anthony Lynn. I mean, they have finished very well. It's almost been like once they got him in charge, it's been a complete reversal. And they are now one of the best teams in the league, I think, at finishing out games strong. And, you know, that was the perfect case here. You know, in overtime, they go right down the field and score. In this league, there's a lot of things that, you know, you really need to do well if you want to be one of the top teams. Finishing strong is one of them. And, you know, that's certainly one thing you could give to the Chargers as a plus is they know how to finish. Yeah, they do. That's very helpful. And they played that game without Melvin Gordon, who's still holding out, looking for a new contract. The Chargers have basically said they're not going to negotiate with him. So how long do you think it's going to go with him? Do you think he's going to sit out the whole year like Le'Veon Bell? Do you think he's going to show up in time to get the year and avoid free agency? Well, if you listen, Ian Rappaport, I, I saw he came out with something. He said that, he, according to his sources, Gordon is going to come back around the midseason point um, he basically has to report no later than no later than week ten, so he can accrue another season towards free agency. So you know it's it's a tough thing because I think obviously everyone had, one of the big takeaways everyone had from week one was how good Austin Eckler looked for the Chargers, and you know it, it's I was listening to Colin Coward talk about this this week, and he was saying you know he loves Melvin Gordon, I think he's a great kid, but his agent gave him bad advice. This is not a good holdout, and. Uh, it's certainly you're seeing right now that the Chargers, how, how, one of the questions people were asking was, how is there ever to get a look week one with him? And Gordon's been a player throughout his career. With, even though he's put up great numbers, he has been injury prone. So, you know, I think for him, the sooner the better he comes back. But, you know, it, it's tough because I think he's seen, you know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, his situation got taken care of. Um, and, you know, rightfully so, you understand the man wants to get paid, but it's a tough, it's a, it's a big stalemate and you know I I just I don't know I think it's it's really tough it is really tough for him but the Chargers are gonna go on with that and they're going to Detroit this week trying to get to 2-0 I think they got a good shot there how about you I do too you know I'm gonna go back to my first point I think the Lions are kind of the opposite of the Chargers where they don't know how to finish really we saw you look at what happened that game week one against Arizona I mean we saw I mean Kyler Murray would what an unbelievable fourth quarter he had but the Lions were in complete control of that game, and then the fourth quarter happened, and they just completely let it get away from them. I mean, you could say so much about Kyler Murray, and I really was impressed with how much of a gamer he was and how he finished so strong. But the Lions really let that one get away from them, and I think you've really seen they're a team that really does struggle to finish. I think this is obviously going to be on the road and a tough one, and the Chargers are starting to, starting to build up some 
tough at nagging injuries with some guys, but I think in a game like this on the road between two teams that are pretty good and have good quarterback play, it's going to come down to the end, and I just think the Chargers know how to finish better, and to me, that's going to be the big key in this game. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch this week. Let's get to saying the picks challenge here. Justin Diaz here for Teen Challengers last week. He went 2-1. and one. He had the Cowboys laying seven points against the Giants, won that easily. Chiefs laying three and a half in Jacksonville. They won that one easily. Lost the Seahawks laying nine and a half, who barely got by the Bengals in week one. Yeah, that was a tough one. That was a very tough one. I went two and one on the week. I won with the Rams laying two and a half in Carolina. Barely. They won by three. That was a tough road one, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a tough one. I half point saved my bacon there. The Redskins getting 10 in Philadelphia. They backdoor covered me on that one. I lost on my Jets blowing that 16 nothing lead. I had them laying the three points, and then they blew that game, and that was not fun. No, I'm sure not. All right, so we both sides at two and one entering week two. Jersey Joe, as the guest, you may go first. So where are you going with your first pick? I got Bills Giants, and I'm taking the Giants one and a half. I just think you look at this game right now. Buffalo two weeks in a row, starting on the road, and funny enough, at MetLife two weeks in a row. But I think the Giants, you know, we know their defense is going to struggle, but I think. So offensively, we saw enough good things. That first driving was very sharp. They're back at home over the season. I think they get their first win at home. Yeah, I agree with you on this one, actually, because I know a lot of Giant fans are down on them because they're like, oh, we got our butts kicked. But the town level going from Dallas to Buffalo is very, <laughs> very game. different. It's been a big difference. Yeah, I think they'll, and they're home. The Bills should not be favoring this game. They did not look good against the Jets until the end of that game. I think the Giants can win this game. I like that pick there. So where are you going with number two? Number two, Chargers, Lions. I've got the Chargers 2.5. Two I, you know, I just think you look at them, it's a really tough game. It's always tough with road games. But like I mentioned before, I think when you've got a team that's such a good finisher and really can put together a strong fourth quarter, that's what it comes down to for me. So I think the Chargers continue to roll and they go to 2-0. and I like that line as well. That's a good pick because, again, Detroit coming off that bad loss. They're coming home, yes, but... That's one that's going to stick with you for a little bit. So I think the Chargers, they've been good on the road the last couple of years under uh, Anthony they Lynn. I think, they, I think they'll take the chair of business here. I think they'll get the job done with pick number two. So where are you going with your last pick of the week? Now, this is a tough one. Eagles-Falcons, but I've got the Falcons one and a half. I think, you know, they got hammered week one. And I think, you know, it's still a team they have not been able to recover from that devastating Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. But I think they're they're coming home. They really had a tough one in week one. I think they Matt and Brian comes back and recomposes himself. And I think even though the Eagles look pretty had a nice comeback in week one, I think the Falcons get it done at home. Yeah, and that's a desperation game for the Falcons on Sunday night football with the Eagles coming in here. They can't go over in two. I think they will finally get the job done. I think they'll help you out there. I'm going to my picks now. Pick number one. I'm taking the biggest lie on the board. I'm taking the Patriots. I'm going to lay those 18 and a half points against the Miami Dolphins because what I saw out of Miami last week was just so, so, so bad. I know New England struggles there historically, but they are not going to struggle there this year. They are going to wipe the floor with the Dolphins. I know that's a huge number to lay. It's basically a college football spread, but I think they win this game by at least three touchdowns. Bill Belichick will run the score up. So I'm taking the Patriots, laying all those points, and taking my chances here. Look, when you got players on the on your team who are asking their agents for trades, you've got a lot of problems. So I uh, I don't think it's going to be pretty for Miami. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be pretty for them either. That's my first pick. Pick number two, I'm going with another big number. I'm going the other way. I'm taking the Cardinals plus 13 in Baltimore against the Ravens. 
I think the fact that the Ravens clobbered Miami so much had a big factor in this line being what it is because I don't think they're two touchdowns better than the Cardinals. The Cardinals, I know, struggle with three quarters, but they came alive at the end of that game. I know it's in Baltimore. I know the Ravens play well, but the number just seems to be too big. I think that they're not going to blow the, them out like they did with the Dolphins. I'm taking the Ravens with the I'm – not the Ravens. I'm taking the Chargers 13, plus 13 to cover that spread. The Ravens win, but closer than people think. I, that, that, is, that is really tough one. I, I think you got a interesting pick there. Yeah, that's an interesting pick there for sure. And my last pick of the week, I'm going to the Steelers laying four at home against the Seahawks. And I know that the Steelers fans are not happy after they got wiped off the map by New England week one, but – they never play well up in Foxborough. New England is a very good team this year. They come home, they, and Ben Roethlisberger is a much better home quarterback. They also get the Seahawks, who struggled mightily to beat the Bengals in week one at home. Now they fly across the country. They get Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh comes out angry. The defense plays a lot better. I think this is going to be a blowout. I'm going to take the Steelers here. We're playing the four. I think they're going to run away from the Seahawks. I agree 100%. I think, I, you know, it was a wake-up call, I think, that they needed. I think Mike Thomas said it best, you know, we just weren't ready for this game. And I think that kind of lit a fire underneath them. They're going to be coming home, and they're playing a pretty good team, but I just think at home, it's the wake-up call they need, and they're going to get that W. All right, to reset here, the picks of the week. Jersey Joe has taken the Giants, getting one and a half at home against Buffalo. The Chargers, minus two and a half in Detroit. Falcons, plus one and a half at home against the Eagles on Sunday Night Football. I'm going with the Patriots laying all 18 and a half of those points against the Miami Dolphins. The Arizona Cardinals getting 13 points in Baltimore. And the Pittsburgh Steelers laying four at home against the Seahawks. Those are your picks for week number two on Just End the Suffering's Show Me the Money segment. Jersey Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy it. You keep up the great work. Anybody wants to follow me, can follow me on Twitter at Joe Archino. Go on to Instagram, Jersey underscore Joe underscore Archino. And, of course, I'm on Facebook, too. Find me at Jersey Joe Archino. Mike, once again, thank you so much, buddy, and uh, you keep up the great work with the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the picks. Next week, Martina Pucci, our friend, will be on doing picks, talk about the Jets, and probably their loss to the Browns. So that's going to be a fun spot. <laughs> oh, boy. Martina's always a good listen. Yeah, Martino is excited to come on here and do some picks, so I'm excited to look forward to that. Jersey Joe, thanks again. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I will break down what happened at the end of the U.S. Open right after this. He's the king of the hill, the top of the U.S. Open champion. All right, we are back. This week's two-minute drill. Going to recap what happened at the U.S. Open. That call is hurry the U.S. Open's YouTube channel. Rafael Nadal winning a five-set thriller against Daniel Medvedev to claim his 19th Grand Slam title, his fourth U.S. Open championship. We will dive into the men's side in a moment, but I want to start with the women's side because this really came down to the final here. We had a lot of upsets week one on the women's side. Naomi Osaka went out in the fourth round on the women's side, so it looked like the seas were parting for Serena Williams to win her 24th Grand Slam title. Ty Mara Kordikov topped the all-time list. Once again, did not happen. Serena once again cruises to the finals, 
runs into yet another buzzsaw, 19-year-old Canadian Bianca Andrescu, who wins 6-3, 7-5 to claim her first Grand Slam title, the first Grand Slam champion from the great country of Canada, a dominant 8-0 against the top 10 this year for Bianca Andrescu. For most of this match, Serena simply could not handle Andrescu's serve. Andrescu did not give up a break chance until the second set, and she looked like she was going to run away with this. She wins the first set 6-3. She's up 5-1 in the second. You're thinking, wow, Serena's going to get run off the court again. She got run off the court by Osaka last year. It's going to happen again in this final, but then something interesting looked like was about to happen. All of a sudden, the switch went on with Serena where she got a break, and then she got another break. And before you know it, it's 5-5 in the second set. The momentum is clearly on Serena's side. The crowd at Arthur is going wild. They're trying to will Serena this win. But to her credit, Andrescu buckles down, gets those last two games, gets the break of Serena, and wins the match. And I think it was very impressive because, as most people know who have watched the U.S. Open, when that Arthur Ashe Stadium crowd gets behind a player and wills them on, it's very, very, very difficult for that player to overcome it. You need to have extreme mental fortitude to handle those moments. And Bianca Andrescu did. She's going to be a fun one to watch going forward because she's only 19 years old. She was not even born when Serena Williams started competing at the U.S. Open. She's going to be in there with Naomi Osaka, with this generation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching her progress here. But the story here remains Serena Williams, who again falls short of that 24th Grand Slam title to tie Margaret Court for the most all time. Since returning from giving birth after her win in the 2017 Australian Open, she missed the rest of that year, came back in 18. She has been to four Grand Slam finals, lost all four of them. Is it going to happen? It's still possible. I mean, she's playing well enough to get there. But there's something missing. There's something missing. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's physical. There's the fact that she's not playing as many terms as she used to. And I get it. She's a mother now. She has interests outside of tennis now. She's 37 years old. It takes a lot for a young, fit player to get this far in a Grand Slam and actually win it. There are greats in the sport right now who have not won Grand Slams. Serena has 23 of them on her resume. But the fact is, I don't know if we got the point where she's going to get it anymore. It takes a certain level of commitment to actually physically and mentally be ready for the war and get yourself into shape for these tournaments. And I don't know if we're at the point in Serena's life where she's not going to be able to do that consistently. And she's still getting to finals. It's a bit like Federer was last last couple of years. Before he won a couple in 2017, 2018. But do not be surprised if Serena stays on 23 for a while and does not get that 24th. On to the men's side. It looks like for a while that we got a clear, clear run to the finals for Rafael Nadal with a win. Who does end up winning, but the way he got there is interesting. That other side of the draw just parted like the Red Sea for him. Novak Djokovic withdraws in the fourth round of the shoulder injury. Roger Federer gets upset in the quarterfinals by Grigor Dimitrov. All of a sudden, it's Rafael Nadal in the mix with Dimitrov, Daniel Medvedev. Marco Berrettini, Gael Monfields, Nadal head and shoulders above all those players. And you know what? It's his to lose. He gets the finals, takes on Medvedev, a rising 23-year-old. 
wins the first two sets pretty easily and say, you know what? It's going to be over quick. The doll's going to straight sets this guy. He's going to win his 19th slam. Here we go. All the credit in the world to Daniil Medvedev, who got up off the mat, ran Nadal to the brink in the fifth set, got the next two very quickly. The momentum clearly turned in his favor. But at the end of the day, Nadal has that little bit of extra mental edge, be able to withstand the pressure, get that slam, and wins the U.S. Open. A lot of credit to Medvedev, who one of the rare players in this generation outside of the big three, big four, and Andy Murray was still playing singles, who is capable of standing toe-to-toe one of the big dogs, holding his own. Nadal threw a heck of a punch at Medvedev, and Medvedev took it, fired one right back. He did not have enough this time to finish the job, but going forward, I would not be shocked to see Medvedev win a slam. That could happen very soon. It could happen as soon as Australia in, in, in January. That would not surprise me at all. But we'll go to the historical ramifications first. Rafael Nadal wins two slams this year. Novak Djokovic is the other two. Our Grand Slam leaderboard for the all-time champions. Roger Federer has 20. Rafa right behind him with 19. Novak Djokovic has 16. Well, this is a very fluid race. It's going to progress over the next few years. Depends on how long Federer wants to keep going. If he win more slams, Nadal could tie him in Australia in January. There's a good chance at the end of his career, Federer could be third in the list because Rafa's right there. Novak is younger than both of them. He's only four slams off. It would not surprise me if at the end of this, that Roger Federer is third all-time despite being one of the greatest players to ever live. Between the three of them, they have won the last 12 grand slams. The last non-Federer-Nadal-Djokovic winner came back in 2016 at the U.S. Open when Marin Cilic beat Kane Ishikori. Could we get one next year? It's certainly possible. Medvedev is proven to be capable. Nick Kyrgios, all the talent in the world. If he ever puts it together, he could be a threat. You have rising guys like Stefano Tsitsipas. But until further notice, the big three remain the clear favorites at the U.S. Open. And I think that's the way you have to look at this. It's the big three's world until it's not. All right, that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Joe D'Aloisio, for taking the time to break down all the headlines in week one, offer a little preview of week two. I also want to thank Jersey Joe Arquino for hopping on the podcast to do the NFL picks in week number two of Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, include my look about what we learned about the Mets in 2019. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Just search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You will find the podcast there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings or I'll make this show even better going forward. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me the hashtag BlameMcCagnon mid the end of this week's show. Next week, we will break down the headlines from week two of the NFL. We will talk some baseball, get a not just Mets. We'll do a broader dive into the world of baseball, do some week three picks and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Dolphins fans. Ah,